turn your Bibles to James chapter 2 this morning. That's where we're going to be at today, James chapter 2. Let me pray and ask God to speak to us through the preaching of His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time to come and to worship and to honor and to lift up Your name. Lord, we thank You for this time when we get to come, we get to hear from You and hear from Your Scriptures and hear Your Word proclaimed. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would speak in this room. God, nobody is here today by accident. There's a reason why each of us got up today and chose to come to this place today, Lord, and I believe it's because of your nudging and your leading, your guiding to say, get here and be at center point to worship today. And so, Lord, I know you have words to speak to us. Would you open our ears and open our mind and open our hearts so we want to hear? And then, Lord, as we've been learning, help us not just be hearers, but help us to be doers. Help us be people who will live out your scripture. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 2, we've been on this journey the last several weeks walking through the book of James and learning how to live our faith all day, every day. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, even on the weekends. Every single day to live out our faith for Christ. And so James really starts to challenge the church. Let me remind you, James is one of those guys who doesn't beat around the bush. He, he hits us straight on. He just says, here's what it is. Here's the call of the gospel. Here's how to live. Remember also, the Christians who he wrote this letter to, they were in a, an extreme time of persecution. The church was being scattered, and so he says, sends them a letter like, don't back down. Keep living for Jesus. Keep living out your faith because people need to see that. And I believe that, quite honestly, this letter is more applicable to us now today than ever because we are in a time when Christianity is getting pushed aside more and more and where Christianity, where persecution is happening more and more. And you're seeing it more and more in our foreign countries for sure where people are even losing their lives for their faith. But here in America where it's being quashed and quelled and stopped saying you're not allowed to speak the name of Jesus, you're not allowed to be told the name of Jesus. And so this letter speaks to us very directly, church. It speaks to how we're supposed to live our lives. So listen in closely to James chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers? If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness as he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's an interesting passage we wrestle with today because there's a kind of a, 
a struggle here between faith and actions. And over the centuries, you know there's, there's kind of a struggle in wise old sayings sometimes. There's some wise old sayings part of life. A bird in a hand is worth what? Two in a bush, right? Bird in a hand is worth two in a bush. A penny saved is penny earned. A quarrelsome man never has good... Oh, you guys need to learn that one. Never has good neighbors. There's some good old wise sayings through the years. Lots of great insight in the life that's been passed on. This is one of these passages that has great insight, wise saying. What about this one? I want to ask you to vote. Let me tell you, what, tell you the two statements, and you choose which one you think is wiser. Look before you leap, or he who hesitates is lost. How many people would say, man, that look before you leap, that's real important? Uh, You've got you to vote boldly okay raise your hand all right how many people say he who hesitates is lost how many of y'all say well it kind of depends kind of depends on which situation right i mean if you think about it it does depend it's interesting those are two exactly opposite adages yet really it does depend because if you're a cliff diver you might want to remind them hey you might want to look before you leap you may want to take a look and see what's going on. But if you're a farmer and it's harvesting time and your equipment is broken, you might want to remind them that he who hesitates is lost. You're going to lose all of your crops. See, in the Bible, there's these opposing concepts that sometimes they seem like they contradict each other, and it creates this tension. Proverbs 20, 26 is a good example. It says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. And then it says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. There's always these kind of things where they're both said, and sometimes they're true in one situation, sometimes they're true in another situation. Two statements that seem to contradict each other, but they're both true. Now, it's not too hard to overlook the tension between these old adages. It's not too hard to oversee that, but it's not always easy to overlook the situation when it strikes right at the core of faith. So you cannot ignore the issue when it comes to a fundamental thing such as salvation. That salvation is in Christ, in Jesus Christ, as we put our faith in Him. But some have tried to say that there's this the same kind of tension between whether saved by faith or saved by what we do. They say that there's some disagreement between Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, and James, who wrote this letter. And some say, no, Paul says this, and James is saying this. And they make this argument or this disagreement, like, which one's right? Here's what Paul says. In Romans chapter 3, as he's writing to the church at Rome, he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. I mean, Paul looks at that. Paul says, A person may write with God, just as you have never sinned, is what that means, be made right with God by faith. I mean, it's the cornerstone of Christianity that if we have a relationship with God, it must be by faith and trust in Him. But then look at what James says in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Holy moly, why, God, did you make this so confusing? When you start looking at the text, you start to wonder some of those things. Over the years, some people have said what Paul wrote and what James wrote contradict one another, and they both can't be true. And so you have to ask the question, what do I do with that? Well, Martin Luther, who found a solution to the problem, when he read Romans 3, 28, he wrote in the margin of his Bible, solified, which means faith only. On the other side, he said, James shouldn't be part of the Bible. He said, tear it out, let's not count it. Shouldn't be worth anything. There are many Christians who follow Martin Luther, not by, by throwing James out of, the, out of the Bible, but by saying, faith only and nothing else. But much of Christianity believes that 
Paul wants to ignore James, when in reality, both James and Paul are looking at the same thing from two different sides of the coin, so to speak. Paul's saying, you can't work your way to heaven. It takes faith to please God. And we would all say what? Absolutely or amen, right? You cannot. God doesn't look at our works and go, oh, because now you're doing good works. Now I am more pleased. James is saying, though, you have to have faith in order to please God, but the only faith that is pleasing God is a faith that does something. It's not a faith that says, well, I believe, and I sit back and do nothing. God wants us to have a dynamic faith and not a dead faith. I think that's what James is getting into today. Let's spend a little time digging what James is saying. I think he gives us three types of faith here. A dead faith, a demonic faith, and a dynamic faith. Let's consider the dead faith for a moment. When James is defining different types of faith, the easiest one to define is a dead faith. It's the faith that says, hey, everything's okay. It's the faith that says, I believe in God, but never thinks about how that may affect the way I live my life. That doesn't really penetrate to my heart that I do something about it. He didn't have to look very far for an example. If you look in your text at verses 14 through 18, he goes in, he shares the example. He says there's a Christian basically standing there, arm in arm with other Christians, and, and, they're, talk, and they're talking. The one Christian doesn't have any clothes and is starving, and the other Christian gives a standard goodbye, like, hey, I'll see you later. Go, go, I, I, I'm fine. I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. He sees a need, but does nothing about it. He sees a need and says, my, my friend here, my brother in Christ, Needs clothing, needs food, but, you know, I'm good, I'm moving on. It's kind of one of those, you say, what's wrong with the picture? I mean, what's wrong with that picture if someone is in need and we just kind of close our eyes or turn our back to it and we just say, I'm going to walk away from that? Everybody understands that you aren't supposed to say something with your mouth if you don't really mean it or you have no intention of doing something about it. What has happened is that the one who ignores the need of others has taken on the name of Christ, but they've not adopted the character of Christ. That's what James is getting to here. He says, if you're going to take the name of Christ, then you need to take the character of Christ. Often people say, I want the benefits of being a Christian, but I don't want the responsibility that comes with it. Let me tell you, church, if you claim Jesus as your Savior and you accept the blood, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the blood of Jesus Christ then you're saying, I want you to be Lord over my life, and that means that there are some challenges that come with that. That means we have to take up our cross and follow him. James says, it doesn't work that way. He says, if you have faith, then it should change you through and through. It's not just a verbal thing. Dead faith is a kind that there's nothing more than words on your lips. It's a statement of faith without a lifestyle faith. James is warning us that faith without action is no faith at all. He's saying it's dead. He's saying if you really truly believe, then you're going to go move. You're going to put action behind it. He's saying don't be content with a dead faith. The second kind of faith that James addresses is what I call a demonic faith. I think it's just a shock as readers kind of. He throws this in there. James throws this little curveball in verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. It's almost like he's being sarcastic. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. He really points out the fact that the demons believe there's one God. You say they believe one God, but they actually have some fear about it. Have you ever gotten scared just by thinking about something? You ever let your mind just start to dwell on something and some fear starts to settle in and you start to think, well, what if that happens and that can scare you? Or you ever been sitting around a campfire where, where someone's telling one of those scary stories and just as they're starting to get to the good point of the story, was, you know, it's kind of getting soft and, and everyone's intently listening and someone jumps out with a big boo or the big yell or the big scream and freaks you out? 
We've all been down that road before. Sins that shudder down your spine. What do you think makes for a scary story to demons? I mean, what's going to make them shudder? What's going to make them have fear? It's something about God. Listen to this passage in Revelation. This is the doom of Satan. It says, But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. That makes a demon shudder. That makes him have fear. For a Christian, we're going to cheer as God triumphs over evil and Satan. One day there's going to be a victory and a cheering like no football stadium has ever seen. It's going to happen. It's not a good story for the demons. When you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' time on earth, he encountered demons and they screamed out who he was. They knew he was God. And Jesus always told them, shut your mouth. He said, I don't need your testimony, but they knew him, and they actually obeyed his command. Demonic faith is a faith that believes in the existence of God, and that belief affects the emotions, but not the will. See, the demons have a faith that believes in there's a God, but it doesn't affect who they are. And James says, if you have a dead faith, even the demons are one up on you. Even the demons were because they believe and they shudder. If your faith is dead, quite honestly, you ought to be scared to death that the one whose eternal destiny in hell is hell and affected more by their belief in God than you are. James is coming straight out at us, guys. Ladies, he's telling us, don't claim to believe in God and believe in Jesus and do nothing about it. He closes out this section of the text with a dynamic faith, and he gives us an example of that. James gives us two illustrations of faith that lived their life according to what they believed about God. It's kind of the odd couple. Abraham, verse, uh, you see him mentioned there in verses 20 through 24. Maybe you're familiar with the story. God promised Abraham and Sarah that they followed him, that, he, that they would have a child, and that child would be the father of a great nation. And Abraham and Sarah, they waited and waited and waited. And when he was 100 and Sarah was 90 for that promised child, finally amidst the laughter and a few tears, I'm sure this promised child comes. While they're up in age, it was a miracle of God for those two senior saints, so to speak, to have a, a child. It had to be a miracle of God. But an incredible thing happens. God tells them something absolutely outrageous. God speaks to Abraham and tells him, I want you to sacrifice that son you've been waiting for, Isaac. I want you to take him up to the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him on the altar. Could you imagine? Wait a minute, God, we've been waiting forever and ever and ever to have a child, and you told me this child was going to be the father of many nations, and now you want me to take that child up and sacrifice that child? You and I would probably say, absolutely no way. You would say, God, you got to be crazy, but Isaac took the child and took him up and actually ties him up and gets him ready for that sacrifice. And just as he's getting ready to lower the knife of the sacrifice, God's angel says, stop, and provides a sacrifice over in the thicket, a ram caught over there. But God was just kind of walking Abraham through a test of faith, like, you say you believe, do you really? Show me your action. Abraham proves he is totally submissive to God, and the Scripture says that it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was justified by his willingness to trust God implicitly. Hebrews, book of Hebrews says Abraham had enough faith in God that he was sure that God would raise Isaac from the dead if that 
was necessary. His faith resulted in obedience. And then on the other side, James uses the example of Rahab, a prostitute. On the opposite end of the social stratus, so to speak, Rahab. Abraham is the most respected person of all history. Rahab is not even high on the scale, probably not even on the scale. She was not an Israelite, but a member of a pagan nation that God commanded Israel to wipe out. She wasn't even wealthy like Abraham. She was a prostitute. She was financially and morally, she was a poor person. But she sent, when the spies were sent into the land to scope out what was going on and what they were going to face and what they were going to try to conquer, Rahab was there to help them to hide the enemies, to give them a place of respite and a place of protection. In the end, Rahab was saved from the destruction of the city as it's destroyed. James says that in God's eyes, Rahab was justified by what she did of her belief in God and his action. As James concludes his discussion about faith, he ends with an image that he wants to plant in your mind. In verse 26, he says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I mean, James brings it home and says, Look at a dead body. You ever been to a funeral? I would say most have probably been to a funeral. I've been around a lot of dead bodies. When my Uncle Jack was in a hospital for six months, when I was a child, we got to know the guards, and they took us down to the morgue and showed us how the morgue worked. I was about 14 years old, and we got a chance to see what dead bodies look like. And being a preacher, obviously, we were involved with funerals all the time. I've got to tell you, I've been all kinds of, and I've seen people do all kinds of crazy things with dead bodies, trying to dress them up and make them look good and bringing in pictures and everything else and setting up the casket and getting the best suit or putting on the best makeup and the best dress, trying to make that body look real and, and fix that thing up. But I've got to tell you, I've never been to a funeral where I walk in and go, man, that really looks like that person when they were alive. Now, we'll say that sometimes. We'll walk in and say, oh, don't they look so good? We're lying to ourselves. When my dad was dead lying in a casket, I did not think he looked good. I thought, that is not my dad any longer. Because the spirit had left the body. And that's what James is saying. James is saying, you have a, you're like a dead body with no spirit. And if you say, I have faith, but I show no action. So I've also seen people who've had dead faith and try to have that appearance. We put makeup on it, so to speak. We do things like, well, I go to church a few times a year. God's got to be happy with that. Or sometimes, well, I got that Bible. It sits on my corner shelf. It's, it's, it's right there by my nightstand. It's got an inch of dust on it, but I got the Bible sitting there. I'm sure God sees that. Or we'll try to do some things like, well, I've got, I got my Bible in my car. Or you should see all my apps. You see all these great apps and you haven't opened them in months. Because they think, well, that just shows that I have a great faith. Some people, if they have asked about their faith, will pull out maybe their baptismal certificate. Well, I was baptized when I was 8 years old. Well, I did this when I was 12 years old. And we look back on history versus looking at what are we doing right now. See, there's, there's nothing natural about a faith that doesn't affect the way you live. And James is saying, if you have faith in God, it should affect the way you live. Let me give you a couple of ways to check your spiritual signs. Is your faith dead or is it dynamic, so to speak? How do you feel about worship? How do you feel about corporate worship? When you have an opportunity to come and you gather and worship, is it like, oh, yeah, i got to go through that thing again. i go to church, and, oh, man, I dare them trying to get me to sing today. Oh, you, you mean lift a hand? Hold on, I'll do that maybe. 
You, you mean actually put my coffee down and maybe engage with what God's trying to say to me? You mean listen to the words intently? Maybe I'm not going to sing, but I'm going to listen intently and say, God, what do those words actually mean and what are you saying to me? I mean, we have an opportunity in worship. How, how do you feel about worship? What kind of thoughts and goals do you have for life? When you're looking at your goals and you're thinking three years from now or five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 25 years from now and you're thinking down the road and you're thinking about your financial investments and your career goals and your family goals, is God in the center of those thoughts? See, because if really your faith that is put to action, every goal that you have and every thought that you have would say, God, I'm thinking about this, but God, how does that affect me and you and our relationship? What do you want me to be doing? How about giving? I mean, when it comes to giving and, you know, we receive an offering weekly, do you come and is it, well, i got a little bit of leftover, I'll give to God this week? Is it something you thought about and you pre-planned and you actually have it in your budget and you're like, God, I understand you want me to be a tither and God, I'm going to tithe. And if you're not there, you say, God, I want to get there, I'm going to work my tail off to get there, I'm going to work on my finances to move in that direction. Or is it, oh no, the preacher's talking about money again. What's your attitude about giving? Speaking of giving, let me give you a little update. We've been on a campaign here. We started a couple years ago, and then this year we retooled to continue to work towards our addition called Still Compelled. We have a big dream to add on about 4,000 square foot of space and in primarily for student ministry and children's ministry. You know, we had an event here Friday night with a student ministry. had over 50 kids here. I mean, we got kids running everywhere, junior high kids, elementary kids. There's a bunch of students and a bunch of children, so we're trying to make some extra space over there. But we've also agreed to only do that debt-free. And so in June, we set out a new goal to try to raise $200,000 over 12 months. That's a, that's a God-sized goal. That's like a miracle goal, really. And it's going to take some people who say, you know what, I want to live a, a dynamic faith, and I've received some income, or I've received a bonus, and I want to go above and beyond. I'm not just going to say, well, God, here's here, i got a bonus, here's $100. No, God, I, I, maybe I'm going to split the bonus in half with you, God. Or I'm going to get my tax refund, and God, all my tax refunds didn't go to that. God, I want to do something that's dynamic to make a huge impact, and you have an opportunity. So let me just show you where we're at. As of today, we're at $23,400.60 just over four months. It's a great start. But I'll tell you, to reach $200,000 by next spring, it's going to take a miracle. It's going to take sacrificial giving. Some people who say, you know what, I can write a check for $1,000. I'll dip into my savings and write a check for $5,000. I'll look for my benefits and my bonuses and say, God, how can I do that? It takes dynamic faith to want to give like that. It takes a faith that says, I want to make room for more people and more families and more students. How often do you study the Bible? How often do you, not just open and read it, but how often do you study? Is it, is it something that gets no attention in your life? Or are you actually pursuing greater knowledge by saying, I'm going to open the Bible, I'm going to work through a Bible study. I don't have to wait for the church to offer the Bible study for the small group. I have my own Bible study where I'm just opening up and I'm in the Word of God. That's one way to measure. Is your faith dynamic or is it dead? What about ministry? What is your ministry? Where are you serving at in the kingdom of God to help further the mission of God that he has given us? How are you making that difference? Or, or do you leave that to other people? Do you think, well, other people take care of that. That, that better, better than I am at it because you're too busy to do anything in the church. You're too busy to do anything in God's kingdom. You don't do things for church. You do them because you live out your faith. Sometimes simple things like teaching a class or helping go on a trip or do a mission trip, you do that to, to, live, out, to live out your faith. 
the church is too often populated with what is known as spiritual zombies. We just go through the motions. People who think they're living out faith, but who know nothing about what it really means to be excited and challenged by the joy of a dynamic faith. People outside the church, I got to tell you, they recognize it. They recognize how sincere you are about your faith because they are observing how do you live out your faith. See, dead faith keeps them from wanting to become part of what they view as a sanctified costume party where people dress up and talk like they have faith, but they don't do anything that looks like trusting Jesus. Where are you living out your faith? Let me show you what I'm talking about today. I think this would make sense. If I had a a gun with me, a BB gun or something like that. And let's say if I put this balloon over here on this other side of the stage, let's count how far this is. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, about 18 feet. How many people in here thinks I could take a gun and I could shoot that balloon? Raise your hand, BB gun. All right, let's try it. It's a 10 pump. Now, how many people really think I could do it? A lot of you still raise your hand. How many people in here, you've got to participate well, I've got to be able to see your hands raised. How many people in here think if, if, we had, if I had you hold that balloon up like that, you're like, yeah, he could hit the balloon if I held it? Raise your hand. Some of you are really brave, huh? Hold on a minute. Keep your hands up. You said that. So some of you all really think that if I had this blown up like this, you could stand on this side of the stage and you would be brave enough to hold it like that and like, okay, he can shoot that and hit it. I mean, we're only 18 feet and he's got a, a good, you know, it's a 10 pump. It's got a good range. Okay. What about this? Okay. How many of you would be brave enough to hold this in your mouth and let me shoot it? We got, would you really? Come on up here. Come on up here. No, not you, Caleb. I'm sorry. You're my son. You can't do this. That's called nepotism. Back in the back. No, right there. Yeah, come on. Oh, oh I do shoot better than I sing. All right. Now, William, before you do this, will you sign this whole harmless agreement? Let me tell you what it says. I hold harmless Brian Bolton, all parties connected to Centerpoint Christian Church in any all ways. I have complete faith that my preacher's ability to shoot a BB gun. I understand I might get hit in the head. My eye might get shot out or possibly I might die. All right, go ahead, sign away. <clears throat> All right, now just walk over there somewhere on the other side of the stage and put that in your mouth. Oh, wait, wait, I don't want to hit the red one. I've got to save it for second service. Can you move forward a little bit further? There you go. All right, you ready? Would I really do this? Should I do it? William, you are a brave man. You know what? You, you win the prize today. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. No. He's like, you're not going to shoot it? You're a cowboy fan. I'd probably shoot you just because you're a fan of the cowboys. Francis Chan actually did an illustration some years ago, and he actually shot it. He really shot. 
He said, I had lawyers and people coming up, insurance people going, you know what you just did to our church? You put us in all kinds of risk. See, there's a difference between faith and no faith. Faith is going into action. Faith is saying, I'm willing to stick my, 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 my life out there. William, you're crazy. You were like, he even said as long ago, he said, you're not really going to do it? I would love to try it. Man, I'd love to try it. Probably not be a smart thing to do. You know, Jesus tells us that. This is the point James is getting to. James is saying, Jesus says, do you believe in me? And we go, oh yeah, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you. Oh yeah? Then why don't you make it a priority to be in quiet time with me? Well, I don't know if I believe that much. Do you believe in me? Yeah, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. Oh, yeah? Then why don't you practice sexual purity in your life? Well, I don't know if I believe in you that much. Do you believe me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in you. I have faith in you. I have faith in you. Then why don't you speak my name when you're at work and tell your friends who I am? Well, I don't know if I believe in you that much. Do you believe in me? Yeah, yeah, I believe in you. I believe in you. Then why don't you sign up for the next mission trip and go overseas where quite possibly your life could be at risk? Why don't you sign up and do that? Well, I don't know about that. That costs money and time and energy and maybe my life. Speaking of that, we need to be praying, folks. We have a, a lady in our church who's in Haiti right now. And we have one of our mission organizations that's in Jamaica. And I don't know if you've seen, but there's a big old storm coming through over there. And you guys know Sonny? Billy, stand up for a moment. Billy's wife, Sonny, who plays her keyboards over here, is in Haiti, went Friday. Got there Saturday, and she's going to be there all this week, and that storm's supposed to hit somewhere midweek. But she said, I believe in Jesus so much that I'm willing to go. And she was nervous, and she was scared. Concern, leaving my husband and my kids, and now a storm is coming. But we need to be praying. That's dynamic faith. And James is saying, do you really believe it? Because if you believe it, you don't just stand up and say, well, I believe it, and then go do nothing about it. Jesus said, I believe in you. Jesus said, I love you so much. God said, I love you so much that I'll send you my one and only son that he shall die on a cross that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. And Jesus said, I believe it so much. He had a hard time because he wrestled with, with his father and said, Father, is there some other way? If not, I'll do it. But he said, I believe in you so much that I'm willing to go to the cross and die for you. It wasn't just a verbal thing where God said, I believe in you and I love you and I'm going to do something to make things right. He said, I believe in you and I love you. I'm going to give you my son his life, so that you can be made right and be made whole by putting your faith in my son, Jesus Christ. What kind of faith are you living out today? What are you doing all day long, every single day? Is it a faith that says, ah, yeah, I kind of believe it, but you just tuck it away and you don't speak it, you don't share it, people wouldn't even know it. If you were put on trial today for your faith, would you be found guilty by the actions people see. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, James challenges us very strongly here through your Spirit, through these words, Lord, that are your words. 
God, would you just speak to us right now? Give us, I just want to give you a chance just in quietness just to wrestle with this message for a second. Where is it, God, that we are speaking we believe, but not showing that we believe? Where is it, Lord, that we we say we believe, but actions show that we're actually dead? We're no greater than a corpse lying in in a tomb. God, would you just stir in our heart and mind today on this, that we don't walk out of here and go, well, that was a a challenging sermon. We don't walk out of here today and go, well, okay, God, I I hear you, but don't want to do anything. Lord, would you challenge us so deeply that we walk out of here today and say, I've got to do something. I've got to be a doer of the word. That we won't just merely hear your word, but that we will actually do it. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that he didn't just say, I love you. He actually did something about it by dying on a cross for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.